Hey everyone, welcome to the Acrobatic Arts Podcast. I'm Loren, and I will be interviewing some of the top leaders and innovators from the dance and acrobatic industry. If you are a teacher, performer, student, or a lifelong learner like myself, you are sure to find these episodes intriguing and full of inspiration. Acrobatic Arts is passionate about providing current and relevant information for everyone. So please, sit back and enjoy as we share our passion with you and the world. It's hard to believe that this is the final episode of the season. We would like to send a massive shout out to all of our outstanding guests who've shared their passion, knowledge, and creativity with us. And of course, to you, our incredible listeners. Thank you for being part of this podcast community. 2023 was our third season and by far our best yet. Planning for 2024 has begun. Now is the time for you to send us your ideas for topics and guests from the dance and acro industry that will inspire you and take your acro knowledge to the next level. Send your request to admin at acrobaticarts.com. In the mesmerizing world of acrobatics, where every twist and turn defies gravity, we've gone through the numbers to bring you the most listened to episodes of the season. Buckle up for an audio journey that will leave you wanting more and applauding the sheer brilliance of our esteemed guests. Without further ado, let the countdown begin. Starting us off at number five is episode 65, Hypermobility Disorders, The Power of Proactivity with Dr. Linda Bluestein. So we don't want to over-medicalize anyone, but if you're asymptomatic, again, we don't know, are you pre-symptomatic or will you become symptomatic in the future? So let's work on your proprioception, for example. Proprioception is knowing where your body is in space without looking. And I remember this wasn't that long ago. I was already well into, I was well, well into this rabbit hole of joint hypermobility when I was taking a Zumba class and I was looking in the mirror and I realized, oh my gosh, I'm hyperextending my elbows. I had no idea because I thought I had better control over my joints than that. So most of us don't realize that we are not always accurate about where we think our joints are. So if, for example, a dancer or an acrobat gets the same cues over and over again from a teacher and they think, wait, what's what's going on here? I felt like I already fixed that correction. Then perhaps that's a sign that their proprioception is somewhat impaired or somewhat suboptimal. And, and the good news is there are things that we can do to improve our proprioception. So in a lot of parts of the world. We're going into summer, which is great. If you happen to have access to a pool, being in the pool, that contact of the water with the skin can help increase your proprioceptive awareness. Anything in contact with your skin can help the brain have a better idea of where the different parts of your body are in space. So I encourage people to get in a pool whenever they can. And I also often will encourage them to wear compressive garments. So whether it's a compressive knee sleeve or a compressive elbow sleeve, again, that contact with the skin can help you know where that joint is. And it can be very, very helpful too for the compression can help with inflammation if you have like a minor injury or something. And I also often will use taping strategies. And the same thing, the tape can help 
if you put tape like in an X mm-hmm. on yeah. the front side of the elbow or on the back side of the knee, when the elbow or knee is slightly bent, as you come to the end range, then that sensation of the tape pulling on the skin sends a message to the brain, oh, we're nearing end range. So there's some simple things that we can do that can help people to just have a greater awareness of things like proprioception that can really help to reduce injury risk. Coming in at number four is episode 69, Turning Dance Transitions into Triumphs with Dr. Leisha Strawn. Uh, I'm always, you know, kind of surprised actually when I understand the dance studio model that, you know, grade 12 seems to be like the time where we tell your know, students in the dance studio that, okay, you're the senior and you have your, say your graduating performance and you have all these things that I think make it seem very final, but that many students aren't ready for, you know, they're, they're not, they're not ready and they may feel like, okay, well, I guess I'm, you know, it's kind of been a tradition in my studio. So I guess I am doing my graduation dance and I guess I do graduate and then I guess I do leave. But then, you know, I, I still want to perform. I'm only 18 and, you know, maybe I'm, I'm not thinking of a professional career, but, you know, where are those other opportunities, you know? And I think studios do have to think about and have a responsibility of thinking of how they're managing those students who have graduated from high school who are 18 or maybe still at university, close to a studio or working, maybe they're taking a gap year. And what type of opportunities do I have for them? You know, they have a skill set where um, maybe they want to teach, but maybe they they still want to perform. You know, can we think of a model within dance that then gives them that space to to perform? So it doesn't it doesn't can be an adult class, but it doesn't have to be an adult class. It could be like a, you know, maybe you do call it like a you know transition class of some kind where. Maybe you do have those adults, you know, those emerging adult athletes who are 18, 19, 20, 21, who still want to compete, you know, do some performances at um, at, a, at the recital, who want to maybe exercise their own creativity. It doesn't even have to be a formal class. I mean, it could just be a space for them to gather and be creative and think of choreography and, you know, kind of do those things. And I think um, we have to think about how we're setting it up, what our responsibility is within dance studios, within even in clubs to give them those opportunities to perform. That is then a big reward that can happen. It's a challenge to find the time, but it can be a huge reward as someone who's a studio owner, or if you're, you know, thinking about that to give them that opportunity, because that will inspire them as well to maybe envision themselves as teachers or as a studio owner themselves, or as a judge or adjudicator, it's really thinking about giving them that space to reinvent their identity. And, and that is the, the reward that can happen. It's also a huge challenge, right? So thinking about the high performer who then has to move to teach, for example, at a lower level. And, and what does that mean in terms of training? What does that mean in terms of trying to reinvent their own identity as well, but giving them space to, to explore? I mean, 18, 19, they are just learning a little bit about themselves, like they are just at the cusp of just learning about who they are. And we know when we watch more mature performers who are in their 20s, like they can bring something that's different that 16 and 15 year olds can't. So I think we have to give them that space in that transition. And I would encourage those who are going through that transition to have those conversations about, 
you know, no, I'm not quite ready. You know, yes, I might be graduating from high school, but there's still so much more that I want to do. Um, and within my own community, uh, if I, if I'm not thinking of a professional career and so, and what does that mean? And, and then how can we redefine that and reinvent ourselves? Moving on to the number three spot, we have episode 72, The Ups and Downs of Tumbling with Kate Evans. Proper foot alignment and engagement contribute to maintaining balance and stability throughout the various movements. As far as power generation is concerned, the feet are responsible for generating power at takeoff. Pushing off the ground with the feet initiates upward momentum, providing the necessary force for our aerial and tumbling skills. The quality of the takeoff from the feet greatly impacts the height and control of our aerial and tumbling movements. Proper foot alignment can also affect the alignment of the entire body during tumbling skills. Misaligned feet can lead to improper body posture or body shaping and actually affect the execution of the skill. The feet transfer force through the body during our complex acrobatic sequences. For example, if we look at the pre-professional three skill of the aerial back handspring back layout, in this movement, we need strong and coordinated foot movements that allow for efficient energy transfer and fluid transitions. This is going to maintain the rhythm of the skill. Foot placement and control influence the accuracy and the control of tumbling movements. The sensory feedback that the feet provide help our acrobats maintain spatial awareness whilst in the air. The awareness of foot position can also aid in making adjustments and minor corrections whilst midair in the movement. As we're on a hard floor, our dancers need to train correct foot grip and traction. The feet must effectively grip the surface to prevent slipping and also to provide stability. A common error I see when examining and teaching workshops is landing and taking off the ball of the foot. Often dancers do not contact the floor with a flat foot and get that heel drive that's required for power. This can be extremely dangerous, especially in our back tumbling, where the generation of momentum backwards is essential for safety. Training this with discipline and diligence throughout progressions and drills will assist to ingrain correct and effective use of the feet. Taking the number two position is episode 58, Balancing Act. Strategies for Managing Busy Dance Studio Schedules with Melanie Hadfield-Walker. Exams are are amazing. They they are so, so, so beneficial. We do them in ballet, tap, modern, acro. We've just started doing musical theatre and contemporary. So we we do a lot, but um, the benefits and the improvements that they make by doing an exam are just brilliant. It just pushes them that extra little step you know there might be something they just don't really like doing so when it comes to maybe the backwards rolls they're like oh I can't do these and they don't they don't really put the effort in but if they know doing an exam they put the effort in and they master it and they improve at it and then the next progression comes so much more easily when they've mastered um that step prior and exams just really motivate them and they love the they love the actual experience the actual exams they love going in they love showing off what they can do and then they get the certificates and hopefully the medals. It's a really positive experience. And you can really see the difference for those last few weeks before the exam's coming up, that they really put that extra little bit of effort in. They'll practice at home and it, it makes them stronger and makes them better dancers, which especially in Afro, 
makes everything safer and they can progress onto the next level. So everybody's happy. They're happy, I'm happy, and the parents are happy. It's it's a really good experience. The way I do it, they, because in ACRO, when they've done an exam, they don't change class. They only, it just means that when we're working on the levels, they, they take a different card and work on a different level, but they still come to the same timetabled class. So some some can't do it if they're away or some don't want to do it or maybe can't afford to do exams. So that it's not mandatory. More and more do it every time. The first few sessions that I did, not as many did it. And then next time they, they all more want to do it. And then next time I'm doing they all want to do it um, because they see the ones that do do it improving and they see the excitement of the exam and the certificate. So they do generally really want to do it. And the most listened to acrobatic arts podcast episode of 2023 and in the number one spot is episode 56, Analyzing and Refining the Aerial with Drew Burgess. Well, you could always start them on a stack. Um, and, you know, I tend to take less and less of a prep with my dancers for, for them doing these side aerials and, and attempting side aerials. The oftentimes if they run too much or they chasse step hop just too much and they tend to not go up on their prep, the aerial will sort of ping or like fling itself across the floor. And instead we want that height, which is what we're talking about. In order to create that, I'd say that they have to really make sure that they're getting that powerful arm swing from their triceps. So a lot of times I do like modern arm swings with my dancers, like where that we have that swing and release effect. So that way they understand that their triceps swinging behind them is actually going to pop them into the air even more. It just sort of depends. It's obviously a case by case basis, but oftentimes dancers just don't get the full range of motion out of their shoulder sockets. So even checking out their flexibility through their shoulders is actually pretty crucial, especially for side and even more for front aerial. And what about speed? How would you get them to go faster? To create more speed and power, obviously that, that's going to come from that heel drive and, that, and of course the coordination of the heel drive with the arm swing. I encourage my dancers to have that up-down-up effect with a side aerial. It should be really high and tight and loopy and it really shouldn't be long and traveling. So we want a really tight cartwheel and a tight side aerial. It's almost like a pushing down into the floor to get up for that hurdle and then back down into the floor again to rotate around. Oftentimes it's about height and rotation and less about that distance that dancers want to cover. So um, sometimes you create even more power by actually starting from a power hurdle or even just from going a nice strong step hop with a really, really powerful arm swing. And that passe or degage, um, like positioning of the leg in the hurdle would be like kind of a dancer's choice thing. Some dancers really love that passe or retire position uh, going into that side aerial to push down harder. Some dancers love that degage. I love both aesthetics. They, they definitely make me happy, especially with pointed feet. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, exactly. I think sometimes we lose that we still need to maintain nice technique in these skills. 
right? If they can do it with busted technique, there's definitely a, a better chance of them doing it even better when they apply good technique to it. So it's an important moment to even touch on the fact that dancers need to be cross-training in their ballet and jazz and modern classes and contemporary classes as well. That outside training that is really worked on in other classes, like those straight legs and pointed feet and use of proper plie and tracking, all of those things are so crucial in acro dance. And we don't not necessarily get enough time in every class because we always try for so much skill acquisition as well. So it's a fine balance, right? We have to make sure that our dancers are being well trained, not just in acro, but in all forms of dance. There you have it. That's a wrap for 2023. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share the excitement with your fellow AcroDance enthusiasts. Send your questions, comments, and any ideas for upcoming guests to admin at acrobaticarts.com. Here's to a fantastic 2024. Until then, stay inspired, stay curious, and stay tuned. Thanks for listening, everyone, and have a great day.